With a clear and precise view on what the church is up against, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. This world system has a tendency to train people to eat one another up, to destroy one another, to do whatever it takes to take care of me, myself, and I, to steal, to kill, to destroy, to lie, to be deceptive, to cheat, to take shortcuts. And anybody that gets in their way, it's no stopping them. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. It's been said, faith makes the impossible possible, but love makes it desirable. You know, that is really put to the test when it comes to our enemies, especially if we consider what Jesus taught concerning them. And that'll be our focus today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Today, we return to the Old Testament book of 2 Kings and are given a vivid picture of a New Testament truth. And that is how we're to respond to our enemies. Before we get to that, we begin with a reminder of the lesson from our last time together. It bears repeating from 2 Kings chapter 6, Here's Pastor Ed. Remember, the king of Syria sent chariots and horses and an army, little militia, to capture Elisha. And it's a little comical to think that a Syrian king would spend so much energy and effort to go get one man. But remember, this wasn't just any man. Elisha is known as a man of God. He wasn't known as a man of the world. He wasn't known as a man of money or a man of fame. He wasn't known by other titles of a man of knowledge, but rather he was a man of God. And it's so key that we learn from his life that we also strive to be men and women of God. I mean, Elisha, he was so in tune with God that, remember, God would reveal to him the secrets that would even be spoken in the bedroom and in private that God would reveal to Elisha in amazing detail, preciseness, and most importantly, what God reveals is always truth. God never reveals falsehood. He doesn't speak lies. And so God, he reveals to Elisha, you know, 73 times in the Bible, the phrase man of God is used. And in many other times, it's implied. And may that be used of us. The Bible says, and Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Make God's kingdom and his righteousness and his goodness, make that your aim and the focus of your energy. Elisha was the man that God would give insights to, and it ticked off the king that all of his ambushes in this little skirmish would be revealed and be done away with because God would reveal where they were. Now remember, Elisha wasn't alone. He had his servant with him. And early in the morning, his servant got up and he looked out and he saw all that was against them. And we spent a lot of time in our Bible study last week. You should grab it and get it from the, from the app or the website. The last time we were together, we really emphasized what God teaches us about the physical and the spiritual. 
and how they're both real. And yet the physical seems to take our attention off of the spiritual. And the more we see with the eye, the more discouraged we'll become. And so a servant gets up, he sees everybody coming against him, and he freaks out, just like you and I would. What are we supposed to do? Actually, the word, notice, remember in chapter 6, the word that he uses is in verse 15, he says at the end there, alas, my master. That's the New King James way of saying that he freaked out and he was afraid. And for good reason. He's surrounded by, this is a couple guys surrounded by an army, by a militia, by horses, and chariots. And yet, what did Elisha do? He prayed. He said, don't fear. And he prayed that the eyes would be open. It says in verse 17, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened his eyes of the young man and he saw. He saw spiritually. His eyes saw physically, but God gave him insight into another dimension, the spiritual dimension, and he saw that too. And behold, the mountain was full of horses, chariots of fire all around Elisha. So, verse 18, when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. I mean, it's a pretty incredible, bold man, Elisha, asking for them to be struck with blindness. And they're blind, and he comes to him and he starts leading them away. Oh, I am not the man that you seek. And he takes them away, and he leads them all the way to Samaria. But I, I found it interesting that the boldness of Elisha, like he, he prayed and God answered. And how often do we pray with that confidence that Elisha has? I mean, it's a pretty bold prayer. And as he prays, God answers exactly as requested, and he leads him away. Now, notice verse 20. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and there they were inside Samaria. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? And so he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set food and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away and they went to their master. So the bands of the Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. Now, as the army was blinded, led by Elisha into Samaria, where the king of Israel is, they find themselves in Samaria. Now, Elisha asks God, open their eyes so they can see where they're at. And the king of Israel, verse 21, doesn't know what to do. They open their eyes and they know they're in trouble, but the king of Israel doesn't know what to do. Should I kill them, Elisha? Shall I take care of them? Why'd you lead them here? And the answer from Elisha was, don't don't kill them. Feed them. Don't wipe them out. Take care of them. The backdrop of this story isn't like our personal conflicts with people. This is warfare. This is an episode in the life of the children of Israel where there's warfare. These guys were sent by the king of the enemy country, Syria, to go take Elisha so that they might wipe Elisha out. But instead, God intervened, opened the eyes of the servant, gave him a lesson. 
gave insight to Elisha and answered his prayers about blindness, these guys get led into the city of Samaria before the king. They open their eyes, and the king just doesn't know what to do. His first thing is, what would be natural? What would be natural in war when you capture? Let's get rid of them. Let's take care of them. They went after you. Let's go after them. And Elisha says, no, no, no. Why would you do that? What we're seeing here is counterintuitive. And haven't we noticed that in our studies throughout the scripture? I mean, we felt the same way, those of you that were with us when we were studying through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. So many of us felt the same way in this battle between David and, and King Saul. Because King Saul's chasing him around, throwing spears at him, chasing him into caves. And he even had that chance. Even the people that were close to David said, hey, he's in the cave all by himself. Go take him out. In this. Why do we keep running? If you'll just take him out, we won't have to run anymore and you'll become king. I mean, it just makes sense. Forget about this nonsense. Take him out. And yet David's conscience and his heart was so close to God that he didn't take out King Saul, but recognized that God had put King Saul in his life to teach him how to become a dependent man upon God. That he was, the phrase was used, God's anointed and instead of taking him out in the cave, he goes up to his robe and he cuts it off and he shows King Saul, trying to show to him that I, I had my chance and I didn't take you out. I want you to know you're chasing a man of integrity, not a man of perfection, but a man of integrity. Later to be known, David, as the man after God's own heart, even with all the failures that he made, with David running from King Saul, he had chance after chance to take him out. And as we put ourselves in his shoes, I think we would feel the same way. I think when there is opposition against us, uh, when maybe even someone was sent to take us out, but God miraculously saved us, I don't know how often our first response would be, oh, let's give them some food and go out to dinner with them. That isn't our natural way of thinking. It's a supernatural way of thinking, but it's not a natural way of thinking. The natural way of thinking would be something along these lines. We have these people coming after us. God delivered us. So because God delivered us, God must want us to wipe them out or get even or make it worse for them or a variety of other options. But that's simply not the heart of God. The, the ways of God are not our ways and the thoughts of God are not our thoughts. And when it comes to our enemies, the Bible couldn't be clearer when it comes to our enemies, we're to love them. I don't see anybody taking notes on that, but you might want to jot that down. When it comes to our enemies, the way of agape love, the way of God is to love them. Even though we might expect something or even feel something, the way of God is to bless them, not curse them. You know, when we talk about enemies... You hear that word and your response is, you know, I hate my enemies, Ed. I hate them. I hate what they've done to me. I hate what they're doing to me. I can't stand them. And you know what, Ed? If you knew them, I'm sure you'd agree with me. And you'd hate them too. All they do is talk behind my back. They hurt me on purpose. They lie about me. They do everything in their power to make life miserable for me. So how would I not hate them? living with that day after day. I'm sure somewhere in the Bible gives me permission to just get back a little bit. Somewhere in the Bible gives me permission to hate them back. 
You know, by definition, an enemy is, quote, a person who is actively opposed or hostile. A person that's actively opposed or hostile. People that are actively opposed, opposing you or me. People that are actively hostile to you and me. It's not, they're not easy to love, are they? Is there an amen to that? They're not easy to love, those that are in opposition. Those that might be actively against us. You know, they're not easy to love. For goodness sake, they're not easy to like. And yet, when it comes to our enemies, there's no exception for us. And you go, Ed, come on. You need to read the Psalms. Well, let's go to a Psalm. Psalm 58. Because maybe you've been reading the Psalms lately and you have found the exception. Psalm 58. All right, well, let's go to Psalm 58 and let's see what it says. The one exception. The one place. In verse 1, the psalmist, he cries out, David says, Do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? No, in heart you work wickedness. You weigh out the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they're born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They're like deaf cobra that stops its ear, which will not heed the voice of charmers, charming ever so skillfully. So I'd say he's describing some wicked enemies, right? So here's verse 6. This is your memory verse. Break their teeth in their mouth, O God, and break the fangs of young lions, O Lord. That's not an instruction for you to follow in David's footsteps. What David's doing here is a lot of what you and I have done before. We express our heart to God in prayer. Now, aren't you glad that your prayers were not written down and put in the Bible for everybody to read the rest of your life? But you know, in David's life, this was included in the scriptures so that you might relate to it when you feel that way. When there is opposition that doesn't seem to end or when there are difficulties and the response is not to break their teeth. I know the topic of enemies isn't a fun one to cover. And perhaps even in the definition of enemies, you wouldn't consider anyone in your life like that right now. However, as you survey your life, I'm certain there are those that you don't get along with or don't like you perhaps. None of us really want to admit that we have a few people out there that don't like us or are hostile toward us. But enemies come to all of us in one shape or another. I mean, if you think about it, in just your relationship and commitment to Jesus Christ, you're going to develop enemies. You're going to develop people that are hostile, just dealing with the hostility of the, you know, Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And so there, there's a sense of even in that, that walk, even though your personality is good and you get along with people, just your allegiance to Jesus Christ will often bring out the worst in people towards you. And so let's move on to the teachings of our Jesus, just so we can be reminded, because we have it pictured here in 2 Kings, but would you turn to Matthew chapter 5? We're just reminded of the teachings of Jesus and, and reminded in our Bible study, maybe you're listening on the radio or connecting to us on the internet, that we're to love our enemies. And Jesus couldn't be more clear in his teachings to us as our Savior. He says in verse 43 of Matthew chapter 5, he says, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, who said hate your enemies? 
Who said that? It's not in the Bible. It's not a biblical teaching. The first part is biblical. You shall love your neighbor. But the second part was added by the rabbinic teachers of the day in the oral law. It had become the oral law had become just as important or more so than the written law. And one of the oral traditions was it's okay to hate your enemies. And Jesus, God in human flesh, comes on the scene and says, no, no, I'm the word in flesh. And I, I know you've heard this said. I know you've heard it. I know you've been taught it. I know you even believe it, that, that love your neighbor, but you have permission to hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. I say to you, love your enemies. That's the heart of God for our lives today to love our enemies, to heap blessings upon them, to pray diligently for them, not allowing anger and bitterness to invade your life and control your mind, to take you off course, but rather to run your race that's before you with single-minded purpose, the single-minded purpose of love. And again, in our Bible study, we come to a place where it's often easier said than done. It's really the essence of a battle in our hearts between walking in the spirit in obedience to God and walking in the flesh in obedience to our own desires. Because many of you listening to me have been hurt deeply by other people. Deep, searing pain. Some of you to the very core of your being. Maybe you've even used the word, it's impossible to love them, Ed. And you might have taken a posture right now as you're listening to me is now I'm the pastor and you're opposed to the pastor because the words are really hard to receive. And we tend to do that. We take positions of opposition so we don't let things sink in. But there's no need to be in opposition to me. Neither is, is there any need to be to Jesus Christ because I think he's teaching us in the point where he really wants us to grasp how the gospel makes a difference in our community. Because the world hates everyone. It doesn't really matter, anyone that opposes them. This world system has a tendency to train people to eat one another up, to destroy one another, to do whatever it takes to take care of me, myself, and I, to steal, to kill, to destroy, to lie, to be deceptive, to cheat, to take shortcuts. And anybody that gets in their way, it's no, no stopping them. And so how does a church of Jesus Christ make a difference in this community, in this world that we're in, when we do exactly what the world does? When we sound just like the world? When we bite and devour one another, when we talk down on one another, when we try to one-up one another, when we don't walk in the love that God has given to us by his Holy Spirit, where he is, the Bible literally says he's poured out his spirit of love in us, that we have been transformed by this very same love. And while enemies do have a tendency to bring out the worst in us, God always brings out the best in us. God always brings out the sense of his agape love that we might 
truly have a transformative life that we are not who we used to be and that we are different, distinctively different from the world in which we live. How is that possible if it's humanly impossible? Well, it's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives and it's modeled by Jesus over and over again. Which one of us in our own strength, our own wisdom, would literally be beaten half to death, close to no more than half to death, beaten, flogged to the point of being unrecognizable, then be hanging on a cross in the last few moments of life, using the last few breaths of life, saying these words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Now, let's be real here. Most of us, our minds kind of say, well, I think I would. Or maybe I would. And, and we put ourselves oftentimes in the best light. As we think of ourselves, and this is a failure of our humanity, you know. We often think of ourselves in our best moment, but we remember other people in their worst moments. And that's just not the heart of God. God sees, he sees his son in us, his righteousness covering us. And it's simply not fair and it's not godly to hold other people to standards that we don't even hold to ourselves instead of just submitting ourselves to the standard of Jesus Christ and admitting our failures and our weaknesses and our sins and the impossibilities in our lives and just cast ourselves down at the feet of Jesus and say, do what you can with me because I'm not able to do anything on my own. Because if it was up to me, I would have taken my enemies out a long time ago. But God knows something that we don't and that's the power of love. Now, of course, we're learning the power of love. Every time we respond in love, God blesses that and we learn the value and the power of love. But God understands love in its totality. And as he goes on to teach us in verse 45, as we do these things, love, bless, do good, pray. He says in verse 45 that you might be sons of your father. These are signs, these are family signs. More on these family signs of love and the differences they make next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're in the midst of a series that's based in 2 Kings. If you'd like to hear it again, go to calvaryaurora.org. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through our mobile apps. Do a search for Calvary Aurora, and you'll notice both our church app and the Grace FM Colorado app. This week, we're spotlighting what the Lord has done through this ministry with grateful hearts. And Pastor Ed, you have a letter to share with us today that is sure encouraging. You know, it is, Larry. These letters are so encouraging. I'm grateful to be able to read one every day. And this one says, I listen to Pastor Ed every day on Abounding Grace. And may God bless very much our radio church family that it would grow bigger in the future. God loves you much, and I know you do good work that God is happy with. Thank you for preaching God's Word. It's helped me a lot. I'm reminded of God's love. He's using your preaching God's Word to point us to follow Jesus. God love you, my family. Well, thank you for sending in that note, and we love you too. And I, I love to remind everyone personally that you are family. You are the extended family of God, the extended family of God in Christ. And we are grateful to provide uh, the Bible teaching. And you know, it was something that God taught me through Pastor Chuck Smith, through my pastor Jeff Johnson at Calvary Chapel in Downey, California. And now I have the privilege here in Colorado in Aurora 
to share with the Fellowship family. And now for almost 18 years, Abounding Grace has been on the radio. So thanks for your notes. Keep sending them in. Yes, we want to hear from you too. And you can email us at info at calvaryaurora.org. That's info at calvaryaurora.org. Thanks for your generous gifts to support Abounding Grace. Your donation will serve to help us bring these daily studies to your station and many others like it every day. We're consistently receiving wonderful reports from listeners of how God is using the program in their life. And when you support this ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'd like to send you Married and How to Stay That Way by Steve Carr. It will give you practical ways to resolve conflicts and stop them from reoccurring and help you understand the first steps to build a solid foundation, as well as give you a plan for building the relationship you're seeking. Get a copy today by calling 877-30-GRACE or turn to calvaryaurora.org on the web. That's 877-30-GRACE. Glad you've taken time out for our study. We'll bring you more from Pastor Ed Taylor's study of 2 Kings next time on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You lay down your life That I would be set Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado.